Hello and welcome to episode 5 of Sounding Boards. I'm Rob Langham and on tonight's show we'll be devoting our discussion to the city where the recording of this podcast is actually taking place, Oxford. You may remember that we did a Glasgow Music Cities in episode 2. Um, of course this isn't a cynical attempt to please our audience, 80% of whom appear to live in the town. <laughs> Hello to regular panellists Niall Kennedy, Neil Kennedy and Ben Woolhead. Hiya. Hiya. Sorry, I got your name there wrong, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> Not the first. Uh, well, well, we're delighted to welcome a very special guest tonight in Ronan Munro from Oxford Music Magazine Night Shift. Hello. We'll introduce you properly in a moment, Ronan. But Neil, as a way of occupying our now customary news slot, yeah. um, I think you had a couple of things you wanted to mention. Yeah. Um, the first thing that I wanted to bring up was, um, well, I hope it won't be sort of thrown too far forward to say that we're probably going to discuss Radiohead Affair on, my, on this particular podcast. Um, and I saw that they'd done their first live show since 2012 um, over in Amsterdam. Um, and I was interested to check out the set list that they played, and it was really, really strong on the new album. Um, they, I think they opened the first five songs they opened with were basically the first five songs of, of the album, which I'd be interested to actually see how they're transposing those live because they don't immediately come across as being ones that would be easy to do in a live environment. Um, but they did sort of go on to play some old stuff, including My Iron Long, which apparently was the first time I played that since 2009. So I thought that was quite interesting to see what they've come back with after quite a long while away. Great. And I think you had a little bit of news yeah. about former member of Blur as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> former former uh, wannabe MP, Blur drummer Dave Roundtree, um, which he's doing a, it's a very um, worthwhile enterprise. He's doing a charity auction and the money's going towards Syrian refugees who are stranded in Jordan. Um, so very worthwhile. But in order to raise this money, he's um, sort of wrote to Nola's London music mates to um, and, and sort of tangential, you know, people to the music scene to um, put up kind of gifts that can go towards raising money for these Syrian refugees in Jordan. One particular lot which I was quite interested with, Russell Brand's spare leather trousers, <laughs> which, um, you know, considering the stories about Russell Brand and his predilections, you don't know what you'd be getting, I think, with those. So. Um, and there was, uh, well, yeah, you'd, you'd certainly want to ask, wouldn't you, before you'd want a viewing of the lot, I think, before <laughs> you put your money down. And various, there was also some Libertines tea, which was, of course, called Liberty, um, right. which I think mm. had been made for them mm. by some some company and has presumably been sitting in Pete Doherty's attic ever <laughs> since. Right, okay, well, that's the news for this week. Um, we're going to move on to the Oxford discussion now, which. Uh, if you're thinking and you, you, you've forgotten a little bit which bands have really come from the town over the last few years, uh, you know, you could name amongst them the aforementioned Radiohead, Foles, Tallulah Gosh, Young Knives, Ride, Supergrass, plus lots and lots of really good local acts that probably deserved a bigger stage nationally. And one of the, the main people who's been on the scene for a long time has been Ronan Munro, who we're very pleased is here tonight. And Ronan edits... A magazine called Night Shift, uh, the origins of which um, date back, I think, two decades or so. Is that right? 1991. It, it was called Curfew in those days. Um, yes. Which, like, it was ran as Curfew for four and a half years, stopped for a few months when all the venues shut down and then came back as Night Shift, as we know it. Yes. And this is a free magazine that you can find as a PDF, but also in a lot of the good 
record shops and music uh, retailers and coffee shops and all sorts of places around Oxford and Oxfordshire generally. Um, Ronan, how's it been over that whole period, he says in a kind of uh, football interview? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Very mixed. Uh, As I say, um, it started as curfew in 91 and that sort of caught the wave of ride Radiohead Supergrass but then there was this point at the end of 93 beginning of 94 when all the venues shut down all for different reasons but there was just nothing suddenly in town and that took a huge regrouping so you know, we had the we had two of the most successful bands on the planet in Supergrass and Radiohead at the time but nothing <laughs> for anyone coming through to play um, so that's actually made everybody think well hang on we've all got to work together we can't all you know, I can't sit in my bedroom making the magazine. Mac can't sit at the back in the kitchen at the Jericho Tavern booking bands. Nick Morbath can't exist in isolation doing the Zodiac. Uh, or it wasn't even the Zodiac then, it was the, the uh, Oxford venue. So that actually brought everybody together. And I think that's sort of really built the foundations for, you know, the next two decades. Yeah, you mentioned some names there, but um, I was interested to know um, which venues, promoters and individuals have really been behind the, 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 the way the scene got back on its on its feet after those tough times. Well, I'd say definitely the most significant person in the whole history of boxing music is Mac. He ran the Jericho Tavern mm-hmm. from about 1989 through to the time it closed at the beginning of 94. Uh, and then he went on and ran the point which was the Hobgoblin for a while, uh, on the planes back to being the Cape of Good Hope now. Um, and, you know, you just look at all the bands who started there, look at the bands who came through and played, and it's just an A to Z of everybody, really. Uh, so i say he's probably the most significant. And then after that, Nick Morbath and Adrian Hicks, who took the Oxford venue from being basically a room with a, a PA in it um, to being probably one of the best small venues in, in Europe, really. And again, you know, on a, on a bigger level than the Jericho Tavern and the Point, just you know, they really, really put Oxford on the map with that. And for those of you who don't know the city very well, I mean, there are a tremendous amount of really good small to mid-sized venues that I think make the scene so vibrant. And having moved here myself four years ago, um, I've just been incredibly impressed by how much is going on here. And I think we're going to talk a bit later about some of the current yeah. sort of stars and the, the up-and-coming people. Um, there was a film, Anyone Played Guitar, that charted the scene as well, which I really recommend. Uh, had a, a few interviews with some of the key people um, and, and I think that really sums things up. But, I mean, would you say Oxford is primarily an indie city? Um, within the city centre itself, yes. But actually, if you go just beyond Oxford city centre, it's very much either metal or folk. Mm, folk right. is huge in Oxfordshire. Mm, I mean, mass, yeah. absolutely massive. But yeah, within you know, the, if you look at the bands who've come out of Oxford, they do tend towards slightly more intellectual side of indie you know Radiohead um, Stornoway in particular yeah. um, everything's quite poetic quite romantic right uh, and all the bands who've come in the wake of Radiohead have also had that sort of intellectualism about them I mean the Glass Animals the band who were probably the most successful new band yeah. in Oxford who were very influenced by Radiohead you know the singer is a he's got a degree in brain surgery or something you know <laughs> we just think you know we started off with Tallulah Gosh I think the three you know we've got PhDs doctorates yeah. and everything but at every level we get an even more intelligent band and obviously the university <laughs> plays a huge part yeah we were going to ask that I think um, I mean not all the acts actually are alumni or went to the university although you know quite a few did and um, I mean do, do the others here I mean Neil do you feel that there's a, a, a an influence there um, it's hard to tell 
Um, you know, it's it's not often a thing that people necessarily bring up when they talk to you, you know, oh, I'm studying X at this particular college. Um, I think, I mean, I think Oxford is, in my experience, not having gone to university in Oxford, obviously not being from here, um, but it's, I've been played in bands here and been welcomed into the scene um, myself, um, and it's been very supportive. I think the infrastructure for starting a band and trying to play you know, music in, in a city is really, really good in Oxford. There's obviously what Ronan does with Night Shift. There's also the BBC introducing um, radio show here is very, very strong, um, quite influential with Dave Gilliatt and Liz Green. There are venues quite good. There's a good kind of trajectory, I think, for bands where they can start off playing in a tiny basement room like the Library Pub on Cowley Road with a promoter like Smash Disco and if they work at it over a year or so, they could probably end up playing on stage at well, what was the Zodiac and now is the, the O2 Academy. Um, and, you know, to have that all within one city, I think is quite impressive because you can go to cities of a similar size elsewhere in the UK and there's maybe only sort of one pub with an upstairs room that will put on live music. Yeah, I mean, I was wondering whether... People agreed that the city punched above its weight for its size, because it's only about 150,000, is that right? It is. If you look at the towns and cities that surround Oxford, Reading, I think, is two and a half, three times the size. Northampton's twice the size. Cheltenham's about the same size. Wickham's a bit smaller. Mm -hmm. But none of them have got anything like we have in Oxford. And you have got... uh, Yeah, what you're saying, Neil, about... You you have a trajectory, you know... Um, you start out, you know, it's great. We've got a little venue, like the library holds about 40, 50 people. So you can just get your mates in. It feels like an event. Then you move up to the cellar or the wheat sheaf and you can move up to the O2. Uh, And the same with, with with night shift, you start off in the demos, then you get a live review, then you get an introducing piece. Then, you know, eventually you can get a front cover and everything, everything can build. And then we've got the festivals you can move on to as well. Yeah. Yeah, and we've not even got to those, have we? No, no. <laughs> and it's and it is well served in terms of festivals with with having truck, which is you know I mean I I saw in one of the nationals a sort of write up for all the festivals of this year, and it was named as one of the as like the best you know boutique festival in the country, and to have that within Oxfordshire, I think, is a real kind of feather in the cap of the local music scene as well. Yeah, do you think the proximity to London has any effect at all? But it used to be, I mean, before Ride really made it, the, the idea was if your band was going to go anywhere, you moved to London. I mean, Swerve Driver did that. But um, Ride made it so that you didn't have to move to London and actually things started, people came to Oxford. Um, I think when there was a music industry and when there were A&R men, it made it easier for them to get on the bus and come down to Oxford for the evening mm. and, you know, see who they were going to sign next. And bands were then moving. I think the Supernaturals, if you remember them, in the 90s, oh, they, yeah. they moved to Oxford. And I suppose we've had bands like Young Nines have moved yeah. to the county. And uh, often um, I interview bands for the front cover. I mean, Guns, um, Gunning for Tamar springs to mind. You know, bands who've moved, they've come to university here, or, the, or Brooks, uh, because a, well, they want to do a degree, but they want to do a degree where they think they can form a band. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Is it, is it also the case that um, bands can that that trajectory we talk about? They can actually make a name for themselves in the local scenes, and they can actually play gigs in London quite easily. And actually, in a small scene, it's probably easier to stand out, um, get noticed, and then actually once you've got that sort of fan base and that following that confidence to actually go to London and, and sort of stand out a bit more, I guess. 
I guess yeah. the tradition with live music as a band was that you'd you try and earn your stripes playing your hometown and you go to London and you'd be sort of like um, battle-scarred enough that you'd be able to put up with the guy in the front row who was just heckling you, you know, from the moment you stepped <laughs> off. That's if you were lucky enough to get a guy in the front <laughs> row at all. Absolutely. You paid your fee to play yeah, some exactly. awful venue in Covent Garden or somewhere. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, if you play in Oxford, then you it's going to be a lot easier for you to get a bit of notice, a bit of press, mm. a bit of word of mouth. Whereas if you're in London, I mean, you'd just be lost. If you move to London without knowing the place, mm. where do you start? You know, you're not going to get a crowd, are you? Because there's no scene in London. There's 30 or 40 scenes. And yeah. it's possibly yeah. even more difficult now because, I mean, social media should democratise, you know, a city like London and people should be able to get you know, um, a buzz around them. But it actually, if everybody's on it, um, it makes it much more difficult to get the, you know, can get the word out. But what make, what's what makes your word worth listening to over anyone else's? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I just think... can't just hang around the good mixer in Canada. <laughs> <anymore>. <laughs> no. If no. the place even still exists. I don't oh, know. it does, it does. Yeah, <laughs> we worked, worked near there for many years. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's a good point. I mean, what about the basic economics of, of being a band in Oxford? I mean, we've mentioned there's quite a lot of small venues and it is possible to get recording uh, yeah. slots. Yes. Um, I mean, Neil, you might be in the best position to answer this as a band. I mean, is, is it a struggle? I mean, I'm sure it is to a degree, but, you know, but it is viable. Um, uh, yeah, I think I think it is. I, I'd probably say it's, you know, if you were trying to be a band in, you know, in London and living in London, having to pay, you know, high rents, I mean, the rents in Oxford, I don't think are like are that much cheaper. <laughs> no. But um, I think the the... It's not, you know, I, I've been able to do it and I'm not uh, independently wealthy, you know, and I think plenty of other people are able to do so. I think I, I think the days of, you know, being able to, you know, rehearse in an old warehouse or something um, on the edge of an industrial estate are kind of less prominent now, regardless where you are. You're usually rehearsing in professional studio setups. You're usually going to studios to record you know what you want to make the next step up from a demo um so i wouldn't say oxford is particularly in a sort of special place in that regard but it's certainly viable for bands to play in. and there are openings to play gigs i mean that's one of the that's one of the, the main things that you want to do as a band and usually you'll get paid which is not often the case in some big cities <laughs> And it's quite a good, uh, I mean, the city's doing well at the moment, I think, particularly the Bullingdon venue in attracting some national talent as well, isn't it? I mean, I think there's I think some... it's, yeah, Future Perfect, the promoter there's putting some great gigs, I think, isn't he? Like a sequence of good gigs in the spring, certainly. So. Yeah, well, Simon used to be the manager, or yeah. assistant manager of the O2, so, you know, he's got the contacts there. But, you know, they've put money into the Bullingdon, it looks like a proper venue, he's got dressing rooms and stuff like that which he didn't have for years yeah. and finally it's a place people want to go to and it's really earning a reputation and that's what we've needed I think for a while is that one slight step down from the O2 yeah, yeah. but then there's not actually there's not actually any sort of step up is there? there's not like any arena is, is that kind of is that a problem for Oxford do you think because they can't attract the biggest bands or will they, will they always go to London anyway do you think I think we're surrounded by cities which are too big yeah. to compete mm. with you know because mm. actually alright they're all 70 miles away but London, Bristol, Birmingham and then Reading and then the South Coast we're never going to compete with those 
I mean, if we do produce a huge band, then we've got a huge park across yeah. the road, haven't we, where they could perhaps play. In a tent. Or three, three nights at the Kassam Stadium. Yes. Know, that's the other option, but they'll have to cover up one side. Exactly. <laughs> Although that's somewhere where the stage could go, I guess. I suppose. But, so. Well, that's where Elton John played a few years yes, ago. Yes, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, actually, just to mention, there is a park uh, in Oxford South Park which has a, a, a festival going on at the weekend um, over the bank holiday called Common People. It's a dual festival with a venue in Southampton where I think they're flipping the days, and it's run by Rob de Bank, who obviously is a sort of, you know, really well-respected name. And um, it's a really enjoyable bill, isn't it? And uh, Ronan, you've had some involvement in that. Oh uh, yeah, well they. Um one of the best things about it is they've actually tried to get local people involved and yeah. part of that was asking me to curate a, a dedicated local stage for the two days so you know you can have under smile on the same bill as Duran Duran and Chaz and Dave yeah. <laughs> it should be interesting for all the families turning up <laughs> I should mention that under smile quite a long distance from Chaz and Dave <laughs> uh, but uh, yes I mean that should be a great and I have to say Ronan has done a fantastic job of curating the uh, local band stage and we're going to come on in a minute or two to talk about some of the best local bands but I think they're very heavily represented on that bill um Two or three episodes ago, we had we talked about record shops and their future. And, I mean, there's a very good record shop, Truck Store, um, on Cowley Road, which is very near where we're recording tonight. Um, do you think that has an, an impact on, on the scene as well? I think it does, because I think anyone new who's into music, who comes to Oxford, that's going to be the first place they go into. Yeah. yeah. And they, you know, I think you'd do that in almost any city in the days where everywhere had a record shop Absolutely. you know yeah. I remember getting, you know I went on holiday to Blackpool once and, you know trying to find out where the best nightclub is you go to a record shop yeah. where where do the bands play you go to the record shop and that's because they're the people who know what's going on yeah that's certainly what I did yeah and, yeah. and Neil Absolutely. and Ben yeah. were fantastic kind of guides for me we were sort well. of, in that in that show we were sort of singing the praises of independent record shops weren't we but um, as I understand it like our price was actually a hub of activity in Oxford back in the day because I mean I think yeah, I saw you quoted as saying that half the people who work there are actually in bands themselves so you were working there and um, was it assistant manager was the bassist from Ride and Johnny Greenwood was working there as well so that was also sort of a springboard for the whole everything's going on in the city as well I guess yeah I mean when I I started working at our price in late 80s and uh, Pete and Amelia from Tallulah Gosh working there and then yeah Steve from Ride was my assistant manager he hadn't actually started the band then. And then when right. I left, um, Colin Greenwood took my job. So right. I got to know him <laughs> he was uh, behind the counter then. But yeah, it was like, it was anyone who was in a band worked in our price. It was about four or five branches at one point. Really? Goodness. Interesting, yeah. So to come to the current crop, um, I mean, this is really what we're all about, and particularly the magazine, isn't it? I mean, I think that's what you really concentrate on is, is the new stuff. Um, who do you feel, I'm probably going to ask the the others first um, who do you think has really stood out for you over the past four or five years on the Oxford scene or, or current at the moment yeah, Neil mean, first in terms of who in the past maybe the past five years probably actually coming a wee bit further back but there was a band that um, the band I was in before the one I'm in now Dallas played a lot with called the Seller Family who I think were another transplant actually from another part of the country who came to Oxford possibly but they certainly did an awful lot of gigging in Oxford and they were, I would just love them. I thought they were a fantastic live band, a bit of a McCluskey influence, um, and then very kind of dark and twisted lyrics, but always just electrifying live. Um, and, you know, almost completely sort of combustible on stage, you know, it was just crazy. In terms of the current, you know, bands that are out there, um, 
I've got a big soft spot for Mayans. I think they're a, a really great band. They've got a really interesting setup with the two drummers and since it's it's almost like watching you know just kind of techno being played on live instruments and uh, they're they're really incredible and definitely worth checking out if you don't know them. How about you, Ben? Well, Neil stole my thunder. Oh. My, my ends are definitely my uh, my pick of the bunch, and they're, they're on the bill for common people's, aren't they? So yeah, they, they were they were excellent the first time I saw them, uh, which was at, at the Punt, the uh, festival that Ronan puts on, or the, the night of gigs that Ronan puts on every May um, last year, and then they they headlined the local band stage at Truck last year as well. So they were on after the headliner on main stage, and it was one of the best sets I saw all of last year. I think. Um, yeah, like you say, du- double drummer setup, no vocals. Um, <clears throat> it's very sort of fluid. It's got there's a sort of post rock element to it, yeah. but I think they've they've definitely done a lot of well. It's kind of almost techno, almost sort of kraut rock as well. I think mm-hmm. um, absolutely brilliant. I mean, other other bands that I really like locally, um, Rainbow Reservoir are excellent. Yeah, um, a sort of not to, not to, to Courtney Barnett actually. I think um, yeah. first time I heard Courtney Barnett, I thought of, I thought of them um, and. Uh, um, August list, I really like the August list. Uh, I think Ronan's mentioned the area is very strong for sort of folk and Americana, and um, they're a, they're again a transplant. Actually, they're from uh, the, the southwest. I think Dorset. Dorset yeah. Yes. Although I think originally one of them was from Bucks, and then they met on a film set, and then moved yeah. to Dorset, and then moved here. It was it was it's a, it's a, a husband and wife co- uh, combo, and it's kind of yes. a sort of perfect backstory. Living in a in a sort of shack, or it sounds like a shack, but it's actually a hill somewhere in Lichina somewhere, I think. Yeah, out, yeah. out in the sticks. Um, Legitimate make, country, then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I really hope it's a wooden shack. They're really disappointed if it's a semi-detached. <laughs> um, but it's it, they're they're a brilliant, um, yeah, sort of uh, backwards sort of Americana, um, quite dark. Um, but yeah, really, really, really good band. Um, so yeah, those those have been my my picks mainly. Yeah, and quickly for me, I mean, I going back over the last few years, I think we aeronauts who actually you know had some members they've shared with Mayans. Yes, I think we're yeah. pretty pretty excellent band. Uh, I did enjoy Fixers in the day, although they had a bit of a meltdown at Truck Festival. I think about three or four years ago, <laughs> which yes. uh, um, spoiled <laughs> it a bit. But they were a good, you know very very good band and produced a good album. And then at the Punt, which has actually just happened, this Oxford kind of version of the Camden Crawl, I guess that Ronan organises. Um, was tremendous last week and amongst the bands that really impressed me were These Are Our Demands, um, Lucy Leave um, and, and Neil's band, Beckoning Fair Ones who, uh, you know, as a successor band uh, with some new members following on from his great Dallas Don't from a few years ago sorry to be biased but it would be rude not to mention them <laughs> so coming to Ronan and I, I'm conscious Ronan it's difficult for you to confer on individuals but or individual bands but is there anybody who springs to mind who you feel well, deserves special all those that have, all those that have been mentioned definitely and yeah I mean um, uh, <laughs> yeah I mean August list I, w- I would have said very early on yeah great band you know just not what Oxford normally produces, but it does fit in with the Americana mm. thing. I find it's a lot darker than that. Yes, yeah, um, yeah. But I think the other person who I absolutely love at the moment, who hasn't been mentioned, is Etta Joy Lane. Yes. Um, yeah. Who has an absolutely superb voice. And um, what I never realised about her, I saw her play twice, and I've interviewed her and everything, but it never struck me before I sort of stood next to her at a gig that she's the same height as me and I'm six foot two. Really? Yeah. yeah. Um, very tall. But what an incredible voice, really vulnerable. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the fact she doesn't have an awful lot of self-confidence that actually comes out in her songs and makes her mm-hmm. voice better. But also, uh, on a similar sort of thing, um, Cameron A.G. Yes. Who yeah, I yeah, think yeah. He's, he's another one of those ones who really could be one of the big breakthrough acts this year. He's getting a lot of attention in the music industry, what's left of it. Uh, but again, really vulnerable voice, beautiful, beautiful songs. And quite different to what because he's, he's a drummer in Reservoir as well, hasn't he? So yeah, he's been a drummer in a lot of, yeah. of quite noisy bands. So, yeah. you know, going back a long, long while. I mean, in fact, the first time I ever saw Yanis from Foles, um, his band Elizabeth, Cameron was drumming in the first band on that night. Or no, the last band on. So uh, um, Yanis was actually supporting him. Yeah, his song uh, Lost Direction, I think, at the moment is available on the BBC Oxford introducing uh, sort of website and you can see, hit, listen to that in session as well as an interview with him and he does a come across as a thoroughly nice fella. So, um, you know, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think he's got a lot of potential. Um, so we've agreed it's a great scene, all going well. Anything you feel you might change to make it a bit better? Things that we need more of, you know? Uh, well, it, it's a weird thing to say, but I think possibly we need fewer gigs. Yeah, I yeah. think you know. I mean, I go to a lot of gigs, and attendances can be very sparse sometimes. Mm. And I think sometimes yeah. people think Oxford has got this huge gig scene that it's just busy all the time, and it actually isn't. But you get a lot of people. You know, too many gigs maybe spreads things <clears throat> too too thinly a little. Um, maybe bands shouldn't be playing two or three times a month. Uh, that would probably help things a yeah. bit, but. Um, yeah, it'd be nice to have a huge venue and get a lot of the big bands in, but um, whether Oxford could really sustain that, I don't know. Mm. Yeah, I think there's the smallest of the venues is probably one of the things that makes it more appealing. And then, I mean, there is the new theatre where very mainstream stuff can play, isn't there? Yeah, that, I mean, yeah. Adam and Ant come into town, yeah. you know, mm. exciting stuff like that. Yeah, Hipsway, I think, one last year. <laughs> <laughs> you know, never thought they'd get a mention in the, in the pod. <laughs> <laughs> But um, yeah, I think from my mind, I mean, I think, you know, it's it's a great scene. Um, I think I'd like to see maybe a few more gigs on at the Jericho Tavern at the moment. I think, you know, they that's need to be kind of turn their back on it. So quite... they sort of make a big deal of it being sort of rich history, etc. But there's actually, actually sort of... Is that fair? They don't have a promoter there. That's the problem. Right. I mean, they have yeah, somebody yeah. who basically takes the bookings. But <clears throat> I think one of the problems is that, yeah, they, they trade on the name a little bit. And, um, you know, if I know they've knocked gigs out so they can have a party there because yeah. they're going to take more on the bar yeah, yeah. Um, which is really sad but you know it's still got you know like the cavern or wherever it's got a name but mm. um, people don't realise things have moved on quite a way since then and actually the Jericho Tavern really was Mac yeah. and the Woods yeah. family who ran it who were very supportive who also got kicked out at the same time as Mac did yeah yeah. No, we, I mean, yeah. what I was going to say in terms of like things I might like to, from the perspective of someone who's gigged a, a fair bit in Oxford one thing I, I felt the city could maybe be a bit better on in some venues is getting local bands onto bills with touring bands. Um, and I don't think this is just it's because my band's not being asked to play with touring bands. I think it's generally been yeah. touring bands come through town, they take their own support you know, with them on the sort of, not just the sort of second on the bill, but second, third, maybe even fourth on the bill. Um, and... I think one of the band, ways that bands improve and get more exposure to you know, a different audience is by getting to play with bigger touring bands that are passing through town. Um, I think it, obviously it's a thing that's dependent on individual promoters, but there hasn't always seemed to be roots to sort of say, we've got you know, this band coming through, um, here's two good local bands that could play on the bill as well. Um, 
And yeah, I think the yeah, it's maybe a slightly controversial point, but there's been a, the O2 Academy just down the road from us on Curly Road. There's an awful lot of so tribute acts, I think, that have taken over on on the bill there, and it would be good to see more, you know, up and coming bands getting onto, you know, play just the upstairs room, maybe there. But mm. um, obviously, they've got to make it financially viable well, for themselves. My, my friends are tribute band are playing there, and they're looking oh. for local support. So you know, <laughs> if you want, you want a gig? Yeah, yeah. Is that the Jimmy Nail tribute band? No, that's band? Uh, yeah. that's, El- <laughs> that's Nirvana, the, uh, the Nirvana yeah. uh, covers band with fronted by Elvis. So, right, yeah, they're looking for local support. No, I mean, there is still plenty. Song. I mean, there is plenty of good stuff on at the O2. I mean, still, and I mean, I think uh, you know the upstairs venue in particular. I do really like actually. So. Um, and, and every time I look at the bill, there's plenty of stuff that I feel I'd, I want to see. So it's good. Okay. So I think the current management team there actually are making more effort to put local stuff on. Yeah. And they've got their uprising gigs, which I know are showcases, yeah. but it's yeah. it's a start. And I've noticed a few local bands creeping on, onto sports. And as you say, I think a lot of it's out of their hands. You know, if a, sure. if a, a big, yeah. big band comes in, they've got a tour support who've probably paid on. Um, so that, you know, it's out of their hands, really. I think Simon at uh, Future Perfect, who we've already mentioned, yeah, he's, he's, he, he's very good yes. for getting local acts on the support. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's we talked about that trajectory, and I think that's part of it as well for for local bands. And as I say, it exposed them to an audience who wouldn't necessarily want to go watch an old band, local band, bill at the Wheat Sheaf. Um, but you know, it's an opportunity to see, yeah, you know, someone different from the band that you already know. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks very much for your input on that. That's great. So, if you live in the area, um, you know, do do come and watch the band. And if you live in London, there's actually a twenty four hour bus, so there's no excuse not to come. <laughs> uh, we're going to move on, but stay in the same territory because we're going to somewhat inevitably run the rule over Radiohead's album. That's going to be our album of the month this this month. Um, a Moonshake Pool, which I think is their ninth. Album? I think it's their ninth. Yeah. Yep. Um, so. Uh... Yeah, the the band met at uh, Abingdon School many years ago, and I think they were initially inspired by Ride and cut their teeth on the Oxford scene. Um, this is their first album for five years, I think it is, 2011's King of Limbs, the last one. Um, they've come quite a long way since uh, Colin Greenwood and Ed O'Brien turned up at Roland's house with uh, some money and a plastic pint glass, <laughs> which had been collected uh, at uh, the gig that was held to shoot the video for Creep. Um, I think you paid for a computer for you, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Um, they were going to do it as a free gig, but because uh, in those days, you know, I was living on a borrowed computer in, in a bedroom yeah. and um, they just got a donation off everyone who went in and brought, yeah, literally a pint glass full of pound coins. So, <laughs> and, uh, but it all helped in those days. Yeah, it all helped. Um, so as it seems to be their sort of, their way these days, the album sort of dropped online without a great deal of um, uh, advance warning. Um the hard copy is yet actually to be released. Um, not to sort of labour the metaphor of the, the title too much, but I think it is appropriate. I think the album's quite a, an immersive experience. There's a sort of shimmering sound to it. It's got a superficial serenity to it and beauty, but it's got some really dark depths, I think. Um, for me personally, it's uh, it's very welcome. I wasn't a fan at all of King of Limbs. This is far superior. Um, I think uh, King of Limbs for me was... Self-indulgent navel-gazing at best for a lot of it. Um, and for me, by some distance, their worst record since Pablo Honey. Um, so just to start off, um, to be, I'll come to you, Rob, first. Um, it was, I think we mentioned in a previous podcast, it had been was being billed as being like nothing you've ever heard, which is something that's said of all radio albums. I think, do you, <laughs> now, now that you've actually heard it, do you think that is that is a fair comment? 
Um, not really, but I mean, it's certainly different. And certainly when you listen to it intently, which I did last week, I, I got a lot out of the, the music. I mean, I must admit, um, I think when they turned after OK Computer and started getting a bit noodly, <laughs> for want of a better word, I mean, there were a lot of comparisons made to kind of Aphex Twin or Tecra and, and uh, Square Pusher and the like. And I always thought they were a bit overstated, really, because, you know, like, I don't think they really sound much at all like any of those people. Um, but um, certainly, you know, there's, there's, there's I, I'm not an expert on electronic music, but certainly there is, there's a lot of very interesting kind of sounds going on on the album. Um, I, so yes, yeah, I think it, I think it is a bit different. Although, funnily enough, the album that we're going to be releasing, uh, we're going to be reviewing next week, James Blake's album, isn't a million miles no, away no. in terms of what it's trying to do. Nor actually is the aforementioned, I think, Esther Joy Lane here and there. I think, like actually, like her, what she does with sound, I think, is very interesting and arguably actually more interesting than some of these much more heralded acts. But, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so so yeah, I think a, a little bit, yeah. Because mm. I mean, one thing I would say is that uh, you know they're often held up to be a, a pioneering band, and I'm not necessarily sure this is pioneering what they've done for is pioneering. But I think what is interesting about them is that they they often bring quite left field influences to bear and actually expose very mainstream audiences mm. to quite left field music. And they've yeah. done that with yeah. sort of jazz, free jazz around sort of Kid A and these at time, and also with um, with the sort of electronica. And I know it wasn't. Um, I don't think you can hear an awful lot of sort of square pusher and things in in those albums, but they was they were influenced by them and they were talking about them, oh, yeah. and encouraging people to listen to them. Yeah. So in that respect, they're almost like a sort of gateway drug. I'd like to see them. Sure. <laughs> um, uh, so how have you, have you have you listened to the album? I've listened to yet? the whole album. I've yeah. listened to probably most of the tracks, not necessarily in order. <laughs> in the thing that struck me is I think Johnny has got a lot more input into this album yeah. than he's had. Yeah. Probably since OK Computer. Um, I'd say, yeah, King of Limbs, I thought actually wasn't that bad. I thought the second half of it was a lot better than the first half. I mean, tracks like Codex were as as good as they've done probably since OK Computer. But yeah, I think they will start to sound like Tom's solo stuff. Yes. Yes. Um, I think, you know, there's possibly apocryphal story that um, when they did uh, Kid A, Tom came into the studio and gave everybody a computer manual and said, read this. Um, and you've got a drummer and a bass player standing there going well you know what am I doing on this album so it does sound more like a band album certainly it's much more Johnny's album than it has done for a long while but I'd say going back yeah it's very strange actually that we've got a band that weird who is so big Mm. I mean they wouldn't be that big if it hadn't been for the Benz and OK Computer but I'd say the album this reminds me most of is Black Star by Bowie it's got that it's almost got a finality about it it's almost like there's a feeling that maybe you know is this going to be the last album almost interesting but it is dark Yes. Very dark. Well, yeah. they finally put True Off Weights on. Yes, yes. <laughs> on that track, so maybe that's a statement, yeah. I, th- I mean, I thought the... Sorry, just to jump in, Ben, on that. I thought the you were talking about them being sort of pioneers, but you, you're absolutely dead right in saying that that pioneer role doesn't necessarily mean you've got to completely reinvent sound every time you make an album because what you influences you bring to bear are going to be filtered through a particular vision which is going to make people so so much more interested. Why, why did they pick that? I mean, there are songs on this record, there's at least two, which could have been on a Burt Yanks record, you know, in terms of the guitar playing, you know, and if you stripped away some of the electronics, 
Um, so it's absolutely not like nothing you've ever heard before. But they, they, when it's Radiohead doing it, they can completely immerse themselves in I those think, influences. I think it is... I wouldn't say it's quite like anything else they've done before, but is it, is it completely novel? Probably not. But it, it's, sure. it's a very interesting album, I think. Yeah. Um, so we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but, but where would anyone rank it in relation to their, their previous albums? I mean, personally, obviously, I, you know, classically I'd say, okay, Computer's the high point. Kid A and Amnesiac are, are right there as well. I, I actually enjoyed this as much as any of the others, I would say. I haven't heard them all, I have to admit, yeah. so it would be difficult for me to say. But, I mean, I'm always in two minds because I would definitely still have Benz and OK Computer as my two favourites by some distance, and I don't think I'm alone on that. Mm. Um, but then again, there is that danger of people saying, oh, I wonder if they'd carried on, not with OK Computer, but in the, in the mode of the Benz, what it would have been like. And then, of course, we have that answer with Muse and Coldplay. So, <laughs> um, but, 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 but the Benz is still... You know, at the time, I must admit, I thought, well, this is a bit proggy. It's a bit, it's veering towards the mainstream. But actually, it's brilliant. You know, like now, now when I listen to it, when I dust it off, I think it's absolutely brilliant. It's song after song. That's a brilliant well, song. Like, yeah. from our role as the contrarian, probably my favourite radio album is in Rainbows. Because yeah, I think yeah. it's where they can call, like, converged again as a band, you know, and actually made the most succinct distillation of what they actually do and just made some absolutely belting songs every single song on that album is an absolute standout mm-hmm. I think um, as much as I love A Moonshade Pool I don't really think it's an album for the uninitiated no um, it's it's a you know it, it, I agree it's immersive I agree it's incredibly impressive sonically and there are some really strong songs and melodies like Glass Eyes mm-hmm. that song's absolutely beautiful mm-hmm. but I think if you don't know Radioheads it's it's a difficult one to sort of dive straight into. Um, so I, I, it, it leads off well. Um, I think like the opening track, Burn the Witch, is, is a great, great opener. But, yeah, um, yeah. How yeah. about you, Ronan, with the canon? How would you say? What was your favourite song? Oh, it's difficult, isn't it? I say that <laughs> after Kid A, sort of, you know, I could actually occasionally get mixed up with which tracks are on which. <laughs> yeah. um, I think I'm, I'm Nisic, actually. I preferred to Kid A. And uh, it's got some amazing well. stuff on it. Mm-hmm. I remember the first time I heard Pyramid Song, I was driving. I almost had to pull over. I thought, this mm. is absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, so they'll always pull something out. So yeah. Even on King of Limbs, there's two or three tracks. It was the most inconsistent album mm-hmm. they've probably done since Pablo Honey but even there I think they had two or three brilliant songs on it yeah. and what you forget is actually they are incredibly, incredibly melodic oh, Tom's yeah. got an amazing voice but probably doesn't get the credit for it because it's always part of this shifting tapestry of sounds but again I think it will always be they really had to release an album and everybody else is following behind yeah yeah, yeah. Definitely. so we've kind of touched on some of the standout tracks I mean for me Burn the Witch. When I first heard it, I thought this is quite good, and repeated listens, it is it is brilliant. And for me, it's a, it's a stone cold classic mm-hmm. up there with the rest of them. I think the video <laughs> works brilliantly with it as well, yeah. um, which they may or may not yet get sued for. Um, <laughs> Full stop. I think is really good. It's got a, um, it's got a sort of propulsive fuzzy bass line that reminded me of the national anthem on Kid A. Um, a glass eyes. You mentioned glass eyes, Neil. Um, it's a really it's beautiful good. song. Very short. Um, but it's got it opens with a very sort of disarmingly prosaic line with Tom York saying that hey it's me I just got off the train like he's, he's literally phoning in his lyrics he just <laughs> hasn't thought that much um, but then it suddenly gets very dark and uh, yeah 
angsty and um, the numbers for me as well is another really good song um, it's quite jazzy with a lot of strings and lots of sort of tinkling pianos but guitar going through it as well anyone else have any particular I like Daydreaming I think the second yeah. one yeah yeah, that, that would probably be the standout for me yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, we've kind of mentioned True Love Wakes well which closes the album um, now some some of the songs uh, have existed in some form for, for years True Love Wakes has been around since the Benz I think um so 1995-ish, uh, the line Burn the Witch actually appears on the artwork for Hell to the Thief, which was released mm-hmm. in 2003. Um, so they, they're a band who kind of will not necessarily just drop something. They'll they'll pick it up, work on it, drop it, pick it up, work on it. Um, is, is you know, what, what are anyone's thoughts on this sort of quite unusual way of working and, and reworking material until it actually feels ready for release? Well, I mean, I haven't followed them as closely as maybe a, a really, really big fan over the years. So most of these things were new to me. So for me, that's fairly irrelevant. But I've been slightly unsettled by it. I, my bloody Valentine's return a couple of years ago was was good and possibly arguably like as good as it ever could hope to be. But on the other hand, I don't think it kind of met their very best work. Um I mean, there was that track they recorded with Fotec, who was a kind of drum and bass guy back in the day, and it almost seemed like a bit of a throwback. Um, and then Blur did the thing out in Hong Kong with these sessions yeah. where they're kind of basically jamming and then make an album out of it. And I I wonder, really, I, I wonder whether it's a sign of bands running out of ideas. But They probably shouldn't even mention the new Stone Roses single. <laughs> 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 I thought Hurricane Number One had reformed. <laughs> yes. um, I mean, for, for me, it's not so much a matter of them kind of releasing like odds and sods. And, okay, this will this will do. Let's scrape this off the floor and mm-hmm. release this. It was actually a matter of quality control. Like this isn't this isn't good enough yet. This isn't ready. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. The thing we've got to remember with Radiohead is they're just a band that have so much attention on them. Mm-hmm. Like so few bands, does anyone care? what songs they've maybe played once or twice live and then put in a closet for a while and then maybe brought out five years later. That You know, there are there are so few bands that anyone would pay that much attention to. And Radiohead are really under a magnifying glass when it comes to every single bit of music they write. So there may well be many other bands, um, you know, who've, who are doing this with, with songs and sort of, you know, and they're, they're you know, they may have the liberty to sort of take time to work on on this stuff but um, you know they're just not getting the, the kind of scrutiny that Radiohead are under with that process yeah, quite possibly mm. well, I think they probably attract the sort of fans who read a lot into things yes yes. yes. Talk, yeah. talking of which Learn <laughs> <laughs> the Witch in the video um, now there's, there's an interesting article on um, Pitchfork which suggested that um, they were the most important political band in the world uh, for a period from about OK Computer till Hail to the Thief um, and that Burn the Witch may signal a return to um, to that sort of political engagement. Uh, I don't know what anyone thought of this particularly. Uh, well, my trait comment would be it's not crass, is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I think, well, I mean, yes. I mean, it's, gra- it's, it's great to hear that, you know, I mean, it's, it's great to hear, ang- you know, anger coming out of, you know, the lyrics, and I think that's definitely there in, mm. in Burn the Witch. What, the extent to which you can tie it to a political ethos or idea or even kind of revolutionary further, I think, is, is quite difficult to do. Mm. Mm. I mean, for me, um, 
his lyrics have always been cryptic, to say the least. Sure. Um, you know, Hail to the Thief is probably the most direct sort of statement of, uh, you know, yeah. political musical statement they've, they've made. Um, and I think they regret making it quite so bluntly because they were explaining afterwards intestinately this isn't exclusively yeah. a reference to the um, to George Bush etc um, and the US election for me that actual sort of their political engagement has largely been extra musical so going on about No Logo around the time of Kid A um, and all of the various charities and causes they've supported that's actually nothing that's come through the music as such yeah. um, this album for me is kind of the statements that are in there, or the, the sort of sentiments in there, are largely things that they've said before. There's a lot of alienation, sort of existentialist angst, like the usual sort of things. Um, glass eyes, particularly for that. Um, a lot of world weariness and and the sort of I mean, burden of which the criticism of conformity and sheep-like behaviour, I guess. But it's not. It's nothing particularly new for them, I don't think. Um, No, not really. I mean, I I think, I mean, uh, the article was a bit half-baked for me, to be honest. I mean, there are just so many bands that engage politically on different levels. Um, Yes, I mean, they've done their bit. I think they they stand out. You know, I think they put their head above the parapet, which is good to see. Um, I wouldn't necessarily think there's plenty you more immediately associate with uh, sort of political Mm. goings-on. But, I mean, generally, I do welcome, I think we were talking about this the other week, I do welcome, I would like to see a bit more politics back in music, actually, at the moment. I think there's been a bit of disengagement in the last sort of maybe five years or so. Do you consider them a political band? No, I think Tom's a very political person, but I don't think they've ever been a political band. As you say, I think they very quickly denied that Hail to the Thief was was political. And you get a song like The Numbers, which is about global warming. But, you know, I think Tom, you know, he goes on, anti-war marches he's a vegan he's very outspoken in interviews about environmentalism human rights and stuff but no I think um, I I think if they're considered such a political band that just shows how unpolitical music is (laughs) I think you know there are political artists out there I think they're probably more you know people like Saul Williams in hip hop you know very articulate very intelligent very direct compared to Radiohead but there's not much in the main we haven't got a rage against the machine anymore have we and there's no. certainly nothing like Crass no. uh, or there are bands like Crass but they are so underground, underground yeah. absolutely and I think that's yeah I think mainstream music is where there's the real dearth of political engagement mm. I mean I think there's always been punk bands you know talking about politics at the extent to which that that's actually ever going to break through to you know mm. outside of the kind of punk ghetto is kind of mm. up for debate I mean Beyonce dancing with a load of police officers or people <laughs> dressed as police officers or whatever at um, Super Bowl is yeah. now seen as a huge political it's statement yeah. Mm. Yeah. although we did talk about in the very first episode about Kendrick Lamar and yeah. you know the album last year did sort of deal with Ferguson and, and some of the American context but yeah, yeah. certainly not as upfront as it used to be yeah. Right, okay, well, that's a great discussion of Radiohead's new album, which I think, um, generally, I think is a cautious thumbs up, I think, and probably like more than cautious in, certain, yeah, yeah. in certain, certain places. So I'd be interested to get your feedback. Uh, just a little word on the coordinates. To listen, we're soundingboard.podbean.com. And to subscribe, you can find us on iTunes. Um, and that's the easiest way, really, of making sure that you get every episode. Um, to contact us by email, we're at soundingboard.gmx.com. 
And then the place where we've had probably the most interaction is Twitter. Um, so we're at SoundingBoard69. And we will see if we can get some Spotify playlists up over the coming weeks. We've had various <laughs> holidays and things. Um, we've also got a presence on Facebook. Um, and thanks to um, a few people who've come with some really nice kind of comments on Twitter and other places, other parts of social media, which we'll probably save reading out to another show, save for... Glenn Airy uh, leaving us a very kind review on iTunes. So thanks very much for everyone to come in, in particular to Ronan, who, you know, we're really, really grateful um, because I think he probably underplayed his, his own involvement in the Oxford scene, which has been massive over the years and continues to be so. Um, so thank you very much, everyone. See you next time.